This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. We are, um, oh, we have the confidence monitor back. So now I have no excuse for the timer is on the board back there. <laughs> I feel the pressure already. Um, we are uh, taking a little hiatus for a couple of uh, things. We sent out a message about the details. So I won't get into all that. But this morning, we're going to talk about how our worship on Sunday relates to our week. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> um, and yeah, how, like we and I think some of this, I think some of the conversation around this for me came up is like, why do we even do this in the first place? You know, like that's like like the root question of like, hey, we all gathered here. Um, depending on the n- number of image bearers you're responsible for, that was more or less complicated to get here. Depending on your driving situation, you know, like a lot of us, uh, regardless, put some effort uh, to get here. So, so when I think about that, I'm like, well, why do we do this? And like, what, what is the point of what we do? And I'm not going to probably comprehensively address that, but my goal then is to say, okay, how do we connect the worship that we do on Sunday regularly with the rest of our week? How do we connect those things? So that's sort of my, like, my, I hope you would have an answer to that question a little bit by the time we get to the end of this sermon. And if we don't, then you can just blame the fact that I had another child dropped on me on Friday. So I feel like I have, like, the pass of all passes right now. Um, but a, a good way, I think, then, when I, so I think about, like, why, like, why are we doing what we're doing? The, uh, the, the thing that came to my mind was the catechism question, what is the chief end of man? Like, that is basically what is the main point of us. <laughs> like, why do we exist? What is the reason that God created us? Like, what's the point? So that's sort of the, the what this catechism question is, is attempting to answer. And um, if you don't, uh, you know, most of you are familiar, but a catechism is just like a, a, a question and answer response as a way to like teach people who are either new to the faith or even traditionally younger children. So uh, whether you're new to Christianity or you're just uh, new to life itself, uh, question and answer catechisms are just how the church has kind of historically taught the faith. And so uh, both the London Baptist Confession, which is the confession that our, um, our church elders subscribe to, and the Westminster Confession, which is actually on our table over there, have this question, and they have the same answer. The why for us existing and man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You and I were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The ultimate why for for church and for the weak, spoiler alert, the ultimate why is for you to enjoy God. For you to enjoy God. And I think the only way we can begin to kind of understand that, well, maybe not the only way, hopefully a helpful way to understand that, this the why, like we're, why are we doing what we're doing? Because we're trying to answer the question, what does my worship here on Sunday have to do with the rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, or, you know, Tuesday, you know, Sunday afternoon, as soon as we leave this place, 
uh, I, my hope to sort of expand on that, like what does it mean for you and I then to truly enjoy God? Like, what does it really mean for us to enjoy God? So I've got, here's kind of the outline for the rest of the sermon. Um, I wanna, we're gonna stop in Genesis. Uh, we're, we're gonna talk about our design. Like, we have to understand a little bit of who we are. If we're answering the why as enjoyment of God, then we have to kind of understand, like, who are we? Like, what, what did God make when he made me and when he made you? And how is that different than, or maybe is it different really than anything else that we see in the world? And then we need to think for a second then, well, what is our worship? So how are we made? What is our worship? And then I, then I kind of want to shift and apply that to our week. Like as if we understand those things, apply that to our week. And then that will then maybe, my, my desire then is to sort of put a bow on it and say, okay, then now our weekly cycle makes sense. Now the reason why we come here every Sunday makes sense. So let's just start by talking about our design. Our design. We are the image of God. Great. We all get it now, right? <laughs> like, like, what does that mean? Um, we are the image of God. And let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26. I have this up on the screen. Um, anytime I have to read from Genesis 1, I'm reminded that I need to get a new Bible because it's not long before I just don't have this page in my Bible anymore. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I'm just going to read this and, and make a couple of comments. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And this is the word man is like generic for mankind, basically. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let us make them, that's why he says plural here, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing or everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man, male and female, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here he is creating them to have dominion over everything. This is what it means. To, part of this, part of what it means to be in the image of God is to reflect the attributes of God. We're, we're as individuals who who uh, and I'll maybe I'll explain this distinction as we go. Uh, it's not like Ben was made and then God added image of God to him. <laughs> ben as an individual is the image of God. You are the image of God. You're not a person plus the image of God. So creating mankind, male and female, God is demonstrating who he is through you. And as the one who is sovereign over all things, as the one who creates, then it would make sense that those who image him also have a measure of authority over things, which is what he says. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over all these things. So there's so sort of authority because they image God and also they will create as they work and keep the garden. So let's keep reading verse uh, 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. He saw everything that he did creating his image creating you, and he said, this is very good. And then I want to I jump into chapter 2, verse 7, because I think this is just like a nice little uh, succinct thing to land on, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Or it's also, it's also the word for soul, so here is God. This, is, this, I think, is essential to understanding what it means to be the image of God. Here is God creating all of these wonderful things. And, and we, uh, in the earlier section, he says the birds of the air, the creatures, the creeping things. It's recounting all of the, the trees. He's just, he's, he's made existence happen. <laughs> and all of the things in existence that are everywhere Happen, and then he's reminding us as we walk through the story that the image of God is sort of the pinnacle, the, the, the climax, the most beautiful, everything else is good, and then God makes something in his image, and it's very good. And he does that in this verse by the dust of the ground and the spirit of life. I know it says breath, but the word for breath, wind, and spirit is exactly the same in the Old Testament. Ruach. It's, it's the, so he, give, he creates man out of the dust of the ground. Everything, everything else was created out of, out, of the, out of earth. But mankind now has both image of God. You are the only creature in all of creation that has both spirit and material aspects to you. You're where all of creation connects with God who is spirit. God is spirit. And so we are the epicenter of where spirit and creation come together. You are image of God. You're essentially, you're, you're not waiting to be freed from your broken body. Because God has a new, better one for you, like physical body. <laughs> Jesus didn't raise from the dead as a, a ghost. We believe he has a real body. Because be, this is before anything went wrong in the story, right? <laughs> we know it goes south from here. Thanks, Adam. Um, we, part, the essential part of who you are, the essential part of what it means for you to be image of God is you are where... God who is spirit and everything that exists in the world materially are connected together. You are unique in that way. Angels don't have what you have. They're spirit. Mankind is the only place where God who is spirit and everything that's created meet. That's why you are image of God. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe you aren't. <laughs> it makes me think then, how does that image God? Like if God is spirit, 
Why do I have both the physical world part of me and the spiritual aspect of who I am? Like, what is the point of that? And that, uh, I thought this quote from uh, Bavink was helpful um, for me. So I don't know if it, I have to read it off of here. Uh, this was written about 100 years ago. And he's, I think he's communicating to us why image of God means that we have uh, both spirit and the created world as like part of who we are and how that actually reflects who God is. He says, just as God, though he is spirit, God is nevertheless the creator of a material world that may be termed his revelation and manifestation. So God created everything to display all the beautiful attributes that we cannot see. Like us, if I want to get to know who you are, you have to talk to me. You have to use words. You have to use your vocal cords. You have to show me the things that you're capable of doing. You have to physically demonstrate who you are in order for me to know you truly. So here's God then demonstrating who he is through the clothes, as it were, that he wears, which is all of creation. Like God, who is, has, communicates himself through the physical world, even though he is spirit, you image him because you have both. And he says that, so this is, this, this material world may be termed his revelation and manifestation with this revelation, with God communicating, coming to his climax in the incarnation, right? Like where is God most clearly communicated in flesh and blood? Sunday school answer, Jesus. <laughs> so he's drawing a connection between those two things. But before Jesus and still currently, God is revealing everything about who he is in the material world. And you and I as image bearers like reflect that. You have a spiritual breath of life from God aspect to who you are that's essentially you. You're not reduced to just material things. You're not. You're more valuable than that. And yet also essential to who you are is how you're made in the physical parts of your body, your brain, your hands, your, your vocal cords, everything. That's part unique. So you image God that you have both the, the spiritual and the physical aspects to who you are. And then he kind of concludes and says, so also the spirit of man is designed for the body as its manifestation as its way to communicate to those around us. Psalm 19 kind of says, um, I thought it would be good just to, you know, use some scripture too, and not just smart dead old people. Um, look at what Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You see, it's, it's just a, it's a poetic language to say he's like, everything that you see is screaming things to you about who God is regularly. There is no speech, nor are there words, or it could even be translated, there is no language, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Like it doesn't matter 
what and how you speak, God is communicating himself through everything that's made in wonderful and beautiful ways constantly, all the time. You can't unhear what he is saying to you. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. You and I are image of God because we're uniquely spirit and created matter, dust and spirit in Genesis. God is the spirit. He alone is spirit, but he's decided to create and communicate himself to us through the clothes that is all of creation, everything that exists. And we image that. And I think that's where we can begin to kind of build upon this and say, okay, well, we're try- we're, where we're going is to say, like, why do we do what we do? If our chief end is to enjoy him, understanding ourselves and understanding who God is and how he's communicating is, is helping us have, like, the tools to enjoy God both in our weeks and in our worship. So, so let's understand in a little bit because we... Uh, what it means for our worship. And our worship is essentially a response to his glory. Our worship is a, a response to his glory. So if God has demonstrated the unique aspects of who he is in everything that's been made, and, and, and Psalm 19 just said it's everywhere. You can't unhear the good things that God is communicating to us through what's been made. Our response to all of that is is worship. Our proper response to that, I'll say, because we can we can attribute, we can think through, we can um, be amazed at whether it's like a piece of technology, uh, whether it's a piece of art, whether it's architecture, whether it's a sunrise. We can see all the things that God has made, and because of sin, now we're, we've past the beginning that we read about Adam, because of sin, we can re, we naturally reorient that away from God. We naturally don't, we naturally, well, Romans would say we suppress it. Like we, we've, we sense it, but we just, deep down, we just want to attribute it to anything else but God revealing who he is to us. And so our worship as, as Christians then is a proper response to God revealing who he is. And that's where we go to Romans because we get a taste of of this, this idea that worship is a response. And I think, you know, we read, we read, sometimes we read scripture reading and I can like feel the room like, uh, you know, (laughs) like that was complicated or what is he gonna go, where is he gonna go with this? Or like, oh, yay, judgment passage, you know, like, we read this passage in Romans and like everyone was ready to be like, amen, <laughs> you know, like, because it's describing Paul's response to the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's describing this idea that God is, uh, in the, earlier in the previous chapter, he's talking about how we've been shown mercy even through things that would be seemingly tragic. God is demonstrated in his plan that he is showing mercy to both Jew and Gentile in Paul's context. So the, to the entire world. So God is demonstrating his glory. And in the previous quote said that this, this idea of who he is is most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. 
in the incarnation. Paul's like, look at how gracious, look at how merciful, look at how amazing God is in the gospel. And then he goes on and says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He's like, I I can't help but respond out of in worship to the amazing and glorious ways that God reaches out and draws his people in and, and restores us and reunites us and forgives us and shows mercy to us. He, he sees what God is communicating about himself in the person of Jesus Christ and he responds with worship. For who has known the mind of the Lord or, or who's been his counselor or who has given him a gift to, to him that he might be like, like who's given him something that he like needed really, you know, is what he's saying. Like who's contributed to God anything that God had to then pay back? <laughs> and then he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And I, I think there's a thread there of us as image of God. God is revealing his spiritual character and attributes to us in everything that has been made. Paul is using, like how, you can't really get more comprehensive than that. I don't know if there's other prepositions you could throw in there. From him and through him and to him are all things. And his, resp- his statement after that is, then if he, everything is revealing who he is, to him be the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> like he has to, he just like has, in mid letter, he has to like, Amen that. So he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of all this glorious things, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your bodies in all things is your spiritual worship. Your physical body in everything is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. And I hope then that that makes sense because that's essentially, most basically who we are as image of God. We are the place where God's spirit and the bodily presence of this created world are together. So for Paul to say, how do you spiritually worship God? To answer that question with, with your bodies and everything makes sense because of who we are. You can't separate that. You can't do something bodily that isn't spiritual. You can't do anything spiritual that isn't bodily because that's what it means to be image of God to be both of those things so how do we you know why do we do this is what we started like why do we why are we doing what we're doing here on Sunday and, and we went to the, the, the catechism question, what's, what's, what's the chief end? What's like, why do we do anything in the first place is really what that question is saying. And the answer is to enjoy God. 
We exist to enjoy God. That happens, at least it has the potential, I'll put it that way. The potential for that to happen is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. (laughs) Because he's communicating to us everywhere, all the time. This quote from Herman Witsius, another super old dead person, um, just like 300 years prior to the other one. I love how he describes Adam. Uh, I just kind of stumbled upon this quote. This is before everything went south. Uh, before every, and that pe- people always say like, actually, I'll, just, I'll sell myself out. I say a lot of times that work was before the fall because I'm kind of a workaholic. So I can use that then to justify the fact that I want to do things. But, but it is, that's not the best use of that. But it is true that like Adam was meant to work and keep the garden. Adam and Eve, I'll just put it that way. Like they, it even said they had dominion. Male and female before the fall were designed to do things with their bodies in the world and to spread the glory of God through all creation. So be fruitful and multiply and spread the amazing glory and wisdom and majesty throughout all creation. And they had a weekly worship service on Sunday. It was, might have been Saturday. Don't, we'll get into that. Every seven days they had a one day where they had unique fellowship with God. So before the fall, Adam and Eve were designed to spread the, the how, maybe I'll put it this way. How do you spread the glory of a spiritual God if not by the created things in the world? It's the same way. How do I understand who Drew is, if not by vocal cords and communication in his body or writing or whatever. Like, like he, because he's image of God, I have to know him through his physical being. Same thing. God is communicating before the fall, after the fall, in the future, through what has been created. So Adam was designed to spread the glory of God through the physical stuff before even anything went wrong. So I like what, how he describes this long, we'll get to the quote. Adam, therefore, just from the hands, just from the hands of his maker, we're describing him, had a soul shining with rays of divine light. And what a phrase. And adorned with the brightest wisdom. And this is kind of like he had all that, whereby he was not only perfectly master of the nature of created things. Now, I want to sit on that for a second. Adam had the ability with all the wisdom to engage with the created world. Perfectly master of the nature or the essence of what was created. Like he was capable of engaging with the world in a way that brought glory and majesty and goodness to God. Because that's what God made him for, right? So we're just assuming then that he was equipped for that but was delighted. So he had that, he was equipped to do that. You know, if, it, you know, a fun thought experiment, how cool would have Adam's iPhone been <laughs> if he would have lived long enough to get there? You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, how cool would the mural been 
that Eve painted on the building where they worshiped on Sunday, you know? I don't know. But he was, had that wisdom and that glory and that majesty to perfectly master the nature of created things. That's what he had. But he was delighted with the contemplation, this is what delighted him, of the supreme and increated truth, the eyes of his understanding being constantly fixed on the perfections of his God. The eyes of his understanding being constantly fixed on the perfection of his God. Which if he was using the created world to demonstrate and display the glory of God, he was of course constantly fixed on the perfections of his God. He couldn't think any other way. (laughs) He was obsessed with fixated on, zeroed in on the glory and majesty and goodness and greatness and wisdom and complexity and pick a thing about God and just consumed then with using the tools that he gave him throughout all everything to show more of that. To bring that out and to give God glory for all the way, for who he is in the things that had been made. Our worship is a response to his glory. Because we were designed, we were created to enjoy God in everything. You were created to enjoy God in everything. Our week, then, if rightly considered, our week is spiritual worship and encounters with God. Um, That's probably not how you thought of your week (laughs) Uh, to varying degrees. And maybe, honestly, you had moments where you had a real taste of that. I had to... Um, yeah, having a foster kid dropped off at your home and not giving you time to like do what you want to do, which is like read and pray and study in silence and solitude, <laughs> which is great. But you know, life doesn't let you do that all the time. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I was reflecting on it this morning, half awake. How do I think then about what I'm doing as an encounter with God? And what does it mean to have spiritual worship? Like Paul is saying our spiritual worship, Paul is saying is our spiritual worship is our bodies in like everything and everything that we do. So maybe there's a sense in which like my 
consideration for a child is like an offering up to God. And that's a true and beautiful thing. But how, do, how is that an encounter with God himself? Like what is God communicating to me in that so that I can have a taste of his goodness, so that I can do what my purpose is, is to enjoy God. Like that is my purpose. That's why I was made. That's why you were made. And I was really struck by this sense and these are just, I love where like God just like opens little channels in your brain and you're like, whoa, yeah. Um, a lot of foster children who have not been in the most ideal circumstances need an intimate connection with an adult to develop their brain, <laughs> much less everything else that comes along with that. And, you know, we have, this is... Uh, the beautiful, I mean, what is a more like beautiful thing than seeing a mother with their child, which makes it also a, such a difficult thing when it's broken. Like that's, we know what that feels like. But that isn't just something like God is communicating to us that he desires to be intimate and near you so that you can flourish. You need that connection with him so that you can flourish. That, and you can see when that's missing. And you know that he has said things like, I am in you and you are in me. I have ordained the gospel to be so intimately connected with you that I will, that I will ensure that you flourish. Just a moment where I was like, whoa, this is God demonstrating his love and his care for me. I'm, in, I'm encountering him in this moment during my week as I just think for a second about what is going on here. I think this is what Paul is saying. And I want to like give us a little freedom then as Christians. Chapter 12, verse one, he, he says, you know, he's, he's responded with worship. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's those two things together there. And then he kind of like builds on it. So he's, I think he's expanding what he means by that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the renewal of your mind. Uh, the quote from Adam was like, his, his mind was fixed on the glory and the majesty of God. Newsflash, ours isn't. <laughs> like we don't default to that. You and I do not default. We are not obsessed with considering and dwelling on and in, in demonstrating the wonderful, beautiful things about who God is. Like we just don't. That's just not our default position. So Paul is like, hey, you have the spirit and, you know, there's lots of good stuff in Romans. And, but what God is ultimately doing is he's reorienting our thinking so that we could enjoy God in all the things because we just don't. <laughs> like we need to be reoriented internally. Our minds need to be renewed so that like Adam, everything we do all week could be an a potential place to encounter and enjoy God himself. 
So it's be transformed by the root of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What does he desire? Like what is... What does God desire? And he just, the next thing he says after that is like explaining it. What does God desire? Uh, What is good and acceptable and perfect? What do you find in the world that is good? That's what God desires. That is a place for you to potentially encounter the glory and the majesty and the goodness of God and enjoy him. Perfect uh, for like my type of personality sounds like nothing is perfect, you know, like, but it's like, it's like, uh, like, like complete. Like it's, you know, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's ready to go for something, you know? It doesn't mean like there are no flaws whatsoever necessarily. We're just talking like it's like a, it's a, it's, it's, it's designed for its intended purpose. And you think about that, okay. So this is now, think about your week. Think about your week. Good and acceptable and perfect. And it was, uh, there was an Ephesians verse I read yesterday where it was like essentially the same thing. What is the fruit of those who, who love and honor God? Basically, any good thing is kind of like his response, like good stuff, you know? Whatever that happens to be, like as vague as possible. Because that is, we're designed to demonstrate the character of God through the good stuff. Whatever that happens to be. And, and you think about your week there, where I'm kind of asking this question, like, where is there a place for you to potentially encounter and enjoy God? And I have to start with some of the obvious ones. So bear with me. But I think I'm, I tried to go across the spectrum to relationships like friends. Communion between two people in the image of God is amazing. God has given you that so that you can know him better. He is one with three persons. He loves good connections with individuals more than you. He's demonstrating who he is to you. We could talk about the marriage relationship and and even just like the commitment that God has to his people. Like the fact that your husband or wife is still with you is a very small taste of God communicating his commitment to you. That's an aspect of him where he's demonstrating that you can enjoy him and trust him and love him and that he's, he cares for you. Then I think about, what you know, children, obviously, right? Like, what a creation, a creation of another image of God. Who can do that? <laughs> Ladies can't, you know, we don't even have that possibility. But it's like you, but it's still a creation of something that you're creating that like images God in a way that is unique and wonderful. But God didn't just leave the dudes out of the equation. We're called to create. Women are called to create in all kinds of ways. How many times do you just create something at work and think, look at me, I'm imaging God. And I know there are some uh, more artistic than me folks, and I'm, I'm trying to come out of my shell a little bit and say everything doesn't have to have a pragmatic reason, but deep down I still think it does. <laughs> this has helped me, I'm, I'm repenting. 
I'm working, I'm confessing at least, you know. Talk to me when I'm just creating for fun, you know. <laughs> Not there yet. <laughs> but you get, every day during the week, you get to create something. How, you know, this is another, maybe this is another thing. I, uh, it's the beginning of the year, so everyone wants to do their life better. And my choice has been to help wrestle with my relationship with food. And I was sitting at the table one day, I woke up in the morning and I had like a half of avocado, a bland piece of toast and an egg. And I was like, oh, the glory and the majesty of God. (sighs) You know, just like, I never knew that bread had this so much taste in it, you know, (laughs) because I was starving. (laughs) I just like, but it was, I, it was like a thing I could sit there and make and enjoy. And it was just like, it literally, because I was hungry, I felt like God was communicating his goodness and his glory and his majesty through me at breakfast that morning. And I was like, I was, I was legitimately praising him for it because I've been saying, Lord, uh, Ephesians says that we're led astray by our deceitful desires and we become callous. We become callous. If we need food, for our source of joy and not God, guess what? You're gonna need more. You're gonna need different ones and you're gonna need more. You're gonna need different ones. Then you're gonna need something. And then you need to be in new places to experience it. And, you're gonna, and, it's, and it's never, ever, ever, ever gonna be enough because it doesn't point you up to who God is. Everything is like that. But also the beautiful thing is everything has the opportunity to give you a wonderful and beautiful encounter with God. Everything does. And we just miss it. Which brings us kind of to our like Sunday cycle question. Like, why do we do this? It's before the fall, before the fall with Adam fixed on who God is, God told him, once a week, come and enjoy what you've done with me, like a unique fellowship with God. Before the fall, like I, after the fall, I'm just like, well, we don't do anything right, so yeah, we need to be at church all the time, you know, <laughs> or something. But think about that. Before the fall, Adam was told to take some time once a week to enjoy what he's done and be with God, to just be with God. Without sin even being in the world, we needed unique fellowship with God. It wasn't, God had to tell Adam his aim. God had to communicate to Adam things about himself that he did not know, even though he would enjoy aspects of God in everything, God had to huddle up with him and say, let me tell you more things about who I am so that when you go out, you have even more wonderful things to consider as you bring my glory throughout everything in the created world. Adam needed that. Like how much more do we need that? That we come here on Sunday and worship because God communicates wonderful and beautiful and amazing things about who he is 
that not only can we not get in the natural world, but we just don't even think about it if we can because we need the renewing of our minds. So we're called as a community after the fall, before the fall, to regularly, weekly gather. And God has promised us that the gathering of his saints gives us a unique experience of who he is. The, the temple imagery is always fascinating to me because like they could like, they're like, things went bad and they're like, oh, the glory of God left. And I'm like, but you could just like see it, <laughs> whatever that meant. <laughs> and you like saw, I mean, yeah, maybe I would cry too. And, and the New Testament picks that up and says, here is the glory of God. This is the temple. This is God building us up into a special, unique place where he lives. Adam had to go back somewhere, like as he's building the garden, he uh, it was a unique place. Eden was a unique place. There's the garden and then there's Eden. The, uh, Eden was in the garden. So he went out and did all these wonderful things, enjoying, enjoying God and everything, but then came back to a unique place to have special fellowship with God, to really walk with him in the cool of the day, to see that he's here and to enjoy him and to love him and to care for him. He did all that so that he knew even more about who he was. And when he could go out into the world and, and bring all these unique and wonderful things and, and interact with God everywhere, the, the depth, this is Paul saying, oh, the depths and the riches of the knowledge of God. He's saying there's no exhaustion there. You're not gonna like get to the point where you're like, God, I'm glad I know everything about you. You know, we've been together for 2 million years now and I feel totally, I know everything. You'll never get to that point. And like in a beautiful way, there's, there's no limit to the way God can be glorified in everything that's been made, Monday through Saturday. There's no limit. That's crazy to me. And if it wasn't for the fall, if it wasn't for the decay that sin brought into the world, you and I would be like Adam, fixed on God, demonstrating the beauty and the majesty and the wonder and glory of God for eternity through everything that we create and do and build and experience. And that's the goal of the new creation. But in the meantime, we're here and you get to every week spiritually worship God through everything that you do and enjoy him. That's what you get to do in Christ, in everything. But we need help we need like a weekly, and more than that, you know, the spirit is equipping us. There's all kinds of things that God is doing, but he's doing things to help us all week. One last point, I wouldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. <laughs> we meet regularly, uniquely with God. Adam met regularly, uniquely with God to point forward to the final Sabbath. Like Adam wasn't all the way there. Like we know he took the wrong tree and we tell our kids that in all the stories, but there was a right tree. There was a higher state for him. 
that could not be lost, that had a unique fellowship with God that even Adam didn't enjoy, that now Christ enjoys in the very presence of God. So we are here every Sunday to enjoy God in a very unique and special way, but not to leave it here. My prayer, my desire, the thing that God built you for is so that the rest of the week, as your minds are renewed, as you think more about who God is, you would have more encounters with the person of God every day. That's what he made you for. That's what we get everywhere. So we come once a week to have our minds renewed, to be present with God in a really special way, to enjoy him, to grow in our knowledge of who he is so that tomorrow you can have a deeper, more beautiful, more wonder, wonderful experience enjoying God tomorrow. I think it's cool that he made us that way. <laughs> the value of that is demonstrated that he would take on flesh and die for us so that he could reconnect us with our ultimate purpose, which is to enjoy him. Let's do that in prayer right now.